this again. If you remember a few weeks ago, I did a similar lesson, but I think that one said number five. I've actually changed the numbers since then, but um, that was on the church, and uh, now we're up to, I think you have number seven. I've changed it to number eight, and uh, the reason for this study is that um, I'm doing a couple seminars, one of them in two weeks up in Iowa, and then uh, another one this summer in Canada on uh, my, my topic that I was assigned was discipling your grandkids. Well, it's been an interesting uh, study, and I've, I've uh, read a lot. Uh, as a matter of fact, I think I've read 13 books on it, and I'm on my 14th one, but by this time, it, there's a lot of repeats, so this is the last book. <laughs> But um, also, I have uh, worn out my uh, Sunday school class by saying I'm going to teach through these things. Uh, it always helps to do it once and, you know, you adjust and correct and all. But the earlier chapters to this are more suited for younger families and so forth because you talk about when the kids are little or when, when a husband and wife has no children but they're planning on them and all of those kinds of things. But you get up to the later chapters and you're talking about grandparenting and uh, that's where we are here. And plus I uh, am going to teach next week's lesson and perhaps the one after that and just kind of finish my syllabus. So uh, these next three subjects uh, have to do with the end-of-life things. And as a grandparent, as somebody who's handing down testimony and legacy to children, what do you do and what, what should we be in these years of our lives too? And one of the things I found in reading books on this, I think I told you one, one of the first books I read was actually a guy's doctrinal dissertation that he turned into a book. And it was published in 2018. And when it was published, he said, when I began this research on grandparenting from a Christian point of view, he said there were fewer than, than 12 books at all on the subject. Most of them are from a secular point of view. He said there was one DVD series on this, and there was one ministry that focused on grandparenting. And that was just two years ago. Now, to, na to today, it's uh, grown a lot more. There are a lot more people doing this because we see the need of it. After all, we baby boomers have been the largest demographic group in the United States all of our lives, and we are at the end of our lives, too. Uh, you know, I don't know, I read a statistic the other day, uh, something like 16,000 or something people become uh, or turn age 62 every week or something like that. I mean, you know, all of us are getting into that older group. So we all deal with these things. And uh, as I look around the room right now, I see a lot of grandparents, which means there are a lot of grandchildren and children going through a lot of things in their lives. But as, you, as I come to this page, I'm thinking more specifically on, okay, you and I as uh, older people, grandparents, watching our kids struggle with these kinds of things, wh what should we be and why should we be these things? 
Remember that, that old saying, if I knew grandkids were so much fun, I would have had them first, <laughs> you know. But, of course, you can't. Uh, you have to let your kids uh, go through the struggles that you went through. But we should be able to be wiser and have better perspectives and be able to help. So I say at the top, it's a wonderful thing for couples to see their children's children. The fruit of the first generation doesn't fall far from the tree, but the fruit of that fruit will begin whole new trees with their own additional fruit. And quickly the single tree becomes a whole orchard. Isn't that true for you? I mean, so I, we had four kids. And you know, as you're raising your, your children, it's all in the one house, you know? It's all under one roof. You all go to one church. You, uh, they all go to one school together or whatever. You live in one community and all of that. Now our four children are gone, and we have 11, 11 grandchildren spread all over in four different places, four different churches, you know, four different communities and so forth. And so the one tree has become kind of a forest. But I, I feel strongly about this, and that is that now what those four kids do, and then one more generation, 11 places where these 11 grandkids go, that, that will do much more ministry than I've ever done in my lifetime. Because if some of them uh, do what I do, and some of them do things that I couldn't do, and in professions uh, that we need Christian men in, as we were talking about, uh, Kevin and I were talking about Ryan, a, a Christian in the field of law, and all of these kinds of things. If, though, if that happens with some of my grandkids, then the ministry is spread out far, far more than I could do as one person. So really, what happens now at this time of my life is just as important, perhaps more so, than when I was young trying to decide what I wanted to do. Okay? Uh, over at, on the right there... Um, let me read a few quotes with you, and if you're listening to this uh, on a CD, you'll just hear these. Josh uh, Mulvihill is the guy I just told you about who wrote his dissertation on this subject, and uh, that book is called uh, Biblical Grandparenting. He says, according to Scripture, grandparents have a vital role in the transfer of faith from one generation to another. Church and family culture have slowly minimized the role of grandparents as important leaders in the grandchild's life. Churches have segmented the generations from one another, and many families expect the grandparents will indulge a grandchild with gifts rather than be a disciple-making influence in the grandchild's life. Um, there's a book on... Uh, uh, I forget the title, but it, a whole book on uh, the, uh, oh, now I forget, I, I, so you get old, you can't remember anything, but uh, the, the village, you remember the villages, you know the retirement place in Florida called the villages, you see it on TV advertisement, this place is bigger than Manhattan itself, has uh, I don't know how many thousands of people living there. 
There are 30 golf courses. They advertise one golf golf course for every day of the month. They have their own radio station, their own TV station, and their own newspaper. This is just north and uh, west of Orlando in Florida. There's only one thing that they don't have. You know what that is? Children. No one under the age of 18 is allowed to live there on a permanent basis. And that is kind of the mentality of today's older generation. Let me go off by myself, spend my kids' inheritance or whatever, be separate from them, and, uh, you know, leave me alone. Kind of come and visit me, but that's all. But that should not be the Christian point of view. Uh, Sometimes you have to be separated. And as a matter of fact, obviously some older people have to live in communities and sometimes in nursing homes. But if if you have to, you have to. But notice um, the next two quotes. Uh, Josh McDowell, many of you have read him throughout the years. He has a book on this subject now that he's older. He said, as I interact with my grandchildren, I notice I have a lot more patience and wisdom (laughs) than I had when my kids were at home. Well, same here. About the time I got my act together as a dad, the kids were grown and out of the house. (laughs) But that's the way I guess it's supposed to be. So would you rather have your children when you're older and wiser, or would you rather have them when you're younger and have more energy? (laughs) I think the first is the way God had planned it. Malva Hill said again, a George Barna study asked 602 teenagers, who, besides your parents, do you admire most as a role model? At the top of that list every time was a grandparent. So above mom or dad is grandma or grandpa. And that says a lot to us as we uh, think about what we should be uh, in this time or years of our life. A few bullet points then uh, to make for this lesson. The first is, you know you have a changing life. As a senior, your life necessarily changes. Number one, you retire from a a long career that you are used to, that you were doing for a long time. You downsize your home and your living situation, or at least all of that begins to change, especially if one, uh, one person is gone and you're left alone and so forth. You tighten your budget to fit your needs at this time of life. And the physical uh, challenges come that you never thought you would have, right? I mean, when I was 16, I was invincible, really. I, you know, I, uh, I couldn't get hurt. I couldn't hurt myself. I could do about whatever I wanted. You know how it was. And uh, now I uh, start up a, st- a bunch of stairs and make sure that I'm not going to twist my knee while I do it. You know, <laughs> Things are a lot different than they were. But we all continue to serve God. As a matter of fact, my observation has been seniors at this time throughout our churches across this country are serving God more than the younger people are with all of the handicaps that they have to do it. And okay, that we should, but we need to be encouraging the younger also. Secondly, you may be living long distance from your children and grandchildren. Let me, let me ask you here, how many, uh, how many have grandparents that are, uh, you know, in, in town? I mean, you know, 
we're in the Kansas City area. You have grandkids living right here. How many of you? Okay, so almost most, raise your hand. How many of you have long-distance ones, kids that are too far away to drive in the afternoon? You have to take a day's drive, okay? How many of you, how many of you have kids like I do in Alaska, but, but it's not a day's drive? I mean, if you go see those kids, you have to plan a special trip. So, so hands go up with every one of those, all right? So long-distance children and grandchildren, <laughs> the bad news, it really cuts down your influence, doesn't it? I mean, you can't be around them and influencing them as much as you would like. So today's culture is hard on these kids, and it is pulling at them from every direction and they not only need mom and dad's wisdom but mom and dad need grandma and grandpa's wisdom i'm amazed at how much time ann and i spend on the telephone with our kids these days and we're long distance grandparents i i don't know if a day goes by yesterday i i was on the phone with both of my sons and and a lot of times the conversation is what do you think about this <laughs> you know and uh, our daughters and our our daughters-in-law call Ann and say what did you used to do when it was like this you know those kinds of things now the good news is that we have communication today that our parents are especially our grandparents couldn't have dreamed of and Ann's folks you know were immigrants and her dad when she was young, was uh, a missionary on deputation. He didn't even own a car. Everything he did, he did by Greyhound bus. And he pinched his penny so much that one time he, he got a bottle of pop where the, the bus stopped at like a little cafe, gas station along the way, you know, the people get out, use the restroom, get something to drink. He got a bottle of pop, and uh, the, the bus was ready to go, but he hadn't finished it, and and if he left with that bottle, he wouldn't get his two or three cents deposit on the bottle, whatever it was. So he missed the bus <laughs> so that he could get a deposit on, a, on his bottle. And then a policeman was stopped at the same station in his patrol car. And dad, being an immigrant, he, he was never embarrassed about anything in his life, asked the policeman if he could take him to the catch the bus, and, and he did. <laughs> so <laughs> policeman flagged down the bus, Peter got on, everything was fine. I mean, he, he would call home when he got somewhere, and he and Mary had a signal if he would dial, you know, long distance, he would dial the home number, it, and let it ring once and hang up, which meant to Mary, I'm there and everything's okay. And if he let it ring at least three times, it meant pick up the phone, I need to talk to you. We don't even think about such things today, you know. So, uh, you know, we're talking with our kids, we're looking at them on our phone, you know, having a visual conversation with them or whatever. So, um, you know, that's the good news. Uh, look over at the right, of, uh, and you see the name Wayne Rice, who wrote a book called Long Distance Grandparenting. 
Distance does not have to be an excuse or an obstacle to good grandparenting. I know from experience that long-distance grandparents can make a deep and lasting impression that goes uh, on for generations, and they provide a special kind of love that no one else can duplicate. And that last statement is important because a grandparent's love is even different than a mom or dad's love. It's just a, it's, it's a kind that a child needs also, and so they need you. Let me read that long paragraph from Mulva Hill, and notice what he, he, he makes three categories here. And by the way, when he did this out of his book, this was a statistic book. I mean, when you read the book, it's like reading his dissertation, uh, interviews, statistics, you know, uh, surveys, and all of that. So he says, Churlin and Furstenberg, uh, two people who made a survey, placed grandparents into three categories, detached, passive, or active. Of the grandparents surveyed, 26% were detached and inactive in their grandchild's life with only a fleeting or ritual relationship. Roughly 29% of grandparents were identified as being passively involved with family. These grandparents are careful to keep their distance. Do not press for additional time with the family. Active grandparents comprise 46% of the individuals surveyed. Active grandparents spend a lot of time with grandchildren, have a positive view of being a grandparent, regularly share their opinions, gently tell grandchildren when they disapprove of a choice or behavior. It seemed like in reading his book, too, that, the, that these surveys were taken from a pretty broad section of grandparents, though he obviously has a Christian point of view. So th this could be us. You know, this could be your average church full of people who have grandkids. So less than half of them, if they're long distance, even keep an active uh, uh, role with their grandkids. That's not enough, is it? Okay, then up above again as we continue on, I say you, you may be meeting new challenges that you never thought of, as I've kind of alluded to, especially the physical challenges that you have, especially financial, uh, uh, you know, uh, belt tightening, penny pinching that you might have to do. How about with wayward kids? and kids that have kind of walked away from the Lord or, or at least are not living for the Lord and they're going through some things they shouldn't be going through because they made wrong choices. You never thought you'd have to deal with that, but you have to deal with it and you have to try to help. Uh, the loss of a spouse, which many of you have, and of course we're all going to experience before we die. Somebody has to go before somebody else. And so there's going to be that time uh, that you didn't think about uh, earlier in your life. So your life is changing. That's the point. Now, the two next bullet points, actually all, all of them, the third one too, are kind of unique. This is where we look at the scripture and we say, well, how does the scripture direct me? What, what kind of things do I, do I need to hear? So why are seniors praised in scripture? Maybe I should ask you, aren't seniors praised in scripture? I mean, you know that, right? That the Bible says that we should honor 
our elders, honor our fathers and mothers and so forth. As a matter of fact, that commandment, the sixth commandment in Scripture, I think it's fifth or sixth, uh, is the only commandment directed to children, and it's the only commandment that is made with a promise. Honor your father and your mother that your days may be long upon the earth. And so that's important. So why do they honor us? Well, uh, there's lots of, of, and I'm going to read a number of scriptures as we go down through these next paragraphs. But uh, they should honor us because of our prayer and devotion. We ought to be godly people. We ought to have put away the silly sins of our youth. We ought to be people who have biblical opinion and thoughts and so forth. I use uh, 2 Timothy 4.13 uh, where Paul is in prison. Here's the last chapter of the last book that he wrote. He's in the Mamertine prison. He'll never get out. He'll have his head chopped off. And he says to young Timothy, when you come, uh, bring three things. Number one, my coat, because it's cold here. Number two, my books. You imagine, you know, oh, I left some books I haven't read on my bookshelf, Timothy. Bring those. You're, you're in prison. You're going to have your head chopped off. But he says especially. He uses that word especially. I would rather have God's word than the books or even my coat. That was quite a testimony to young Timothy, wasn't it? That this is... You know, you stand fast for the doctrine that was passed on to you, Timothy. To my dying day, that's what I want to do. And so we ought to be, we ought to be known as fathers and grandfathers and so forth for our prayer and devotion. Secondly, for our exercise in godliness. Refuse profane and old wives' fables. Exercise thyself rather unto godliness, Paul says to Timothy. For bodily exercise profiteth little, especially as you get older, <laughs> but godliness is profitable for all things, having promised the life that now is and that which is to come. Well, you, you know yourself physically enough to know what you have to do for yourself. You have to stay active. You, you do have to, you know, uh, diet. Or you, you, you may be on certain medicines anyway, whatever. You know, you know what you have to do to, to keep yourself going that way. But how many of our generation that we live with don't know anything about godliness? They spend their whole senior life. Again, if you lived in the villages, you could play golf on a different golf course every day and never leave the place. Is that what the only thing you want to do in your older years? Paul says, exercise rather unto godliness because bodily exercise does help you a little and you may need it. But godliness is profitable in this life as well as in the life to come. Okay, and so uh, kids need to see that. And I use 2 John 2.13. You remember where John says, I write unto you fathers, and I write unto you young men, and I write unto you children. But when he addresses the fathers, he says, because you have known him from the beginning. I'm, I'm writing to you, and John was a father, a grandfather at the time, or at least that age, and he says, 
the reason why we have this category is we have known God from the beginning, and our children have not, and our grandchildren certainly have not. Not as long as we have. That's very important. Okay? Then thirdly, seniors are praised in Scripture because they teach. This is something also, if you go back up to Mulville's first quote at the top of the page, that he reminded us of, that too often today, the seniors in our church are kind of set aside somewhere and not used for their wisdom. Now, I always put this footnote in here. I'm not one of those who say that we shouldn't have Sunday school classes we should never separate the children from the parents during the church hour or the Sunday school hour. I, I always say, come on, this is one or two hours out of your whole week you get together. But uh, the fact is, do we, can we intermingle as, as a church? Can our young people and older people be together? And would it be strange if one of our seniors actually instructed some young women or young men in our church. That's what, uh, you know, I'm concerned about here. And, and, and a lot of people writing from a Christian point of view right now are concerned about that. As a matter of fact, I, I think a lot more can be done. It, some of this has really challenged me as a pastor. What more could we do, grandmas and grandpas, for the sake of our kids than we do now. We should do more than just eating and playing together. Though, I like that too. You know, you, God made us so we have to eat three times a day, so I'm for it, you know. And, and as a matter of fact, common meals that we have as a church is one of the unique ways to bring all generations together and sit around a table and talk. So I'm for it. I, you know, you, you satisfy a few needs <laughs> that way. But many times we don't get much farther than that or some activities for seniors, and that's it. So we need to be paying attention to that kind of thing. In Titus uh, 2, Paul says to that young pastor, Speak thou the things which become sound doctrine, that the aged men, don't you love to be described that way? <laughs> You're really aged. It's the word presbyteros, which means elder anyway. Pre we get the word Presbyterian from it, you know, the ruling of elders. That the aged men, listen to this, be sober, be grave, be temperate, sound in faith, in love, and in patience. Those are the things we need to be teaching to our kids and grandkids. That the aged women, sorry ladies, aged women, and by the way, that's presbyteros with the feminine ending on it is all. All languages have that. It's presbyteros. Uh, my kids used to call grandma because she was Russian, uh, busha, because in Russian it's babusha, you know, the grandma. And they would shorten it and say busha. That's the way they knew her. Aged women likewise that they be in behavior as becometh holiness, not false accusers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things, that they may teach the younger women 
to be sober and to love their husbands and to love their children. I mean, this is a biblical instruction. This is, this, is, this is God's word to us that we should be doing these things. So we teach knowledge. Then uh, anticipation of heaven. Now, if Gordon will indulge me, he's going to let me teach next week also. And the title of that is to be home in the body but be absent from the Lord. But the last one, if you'll let me do that, is absent from the body and present with the Lord. So I say here, anticipation of heaven. Do you, you, know, do you have that as an older person? I don't know how many times as people have been dying, and I've stood either at their bedside or in their home or, or wherever, and they would say something to the effect of, I just want to go on. I'm ready to go. And how many times has, has someone, a loved one died and someone said, boy, they're better off now, aren't they? <laughs> well, yeah. And that, that is true. And yet, is it really true when we get over to some of these quotes that I'm going to have about this? Uh, you know, uh, people, people will say, we, we ought to look forward to heaven, but I'm not sure that people really want to go there, even Christians, you know. And we, uh, you know, try everything we can to keep from going to heaven. So an anticipation of heaven. Do you know what Second Kings chapter 2 is? That's Elisha and Elijah. And Elijah was told by God he would be taken up to heaven. And, of course, when it happened, he was one of only two men that didn't die the normal death, Enoch and, and then Elijah. And the whole story in that chapter is Elisha's following him around and saying, you know, what's going to happen? What's happening? Elijah just says, just follow me. You'll be fine. You know, they get to the next place, all the... The young men are there and say, uh, what's going to happen to our Lord? Don't worry about it. I'll be fine. And he, he goes from one place, finally down to Jordan, uh, and uh, they leave all of the young prophets on this side. Elisha smites the water with his coat. The Jordan parts. He and Elisha walk over on dry land. They get to the other side, and Elisha is still saying, what's going to happen here? And Elijah, through the whole thing, is just calm, and he knows exactly what's going to happen. He may not have known it would be a chariot of fire or how it would happen, but he knew God was going to take him. And so Elisha watches that, and finally he says, could I have a double portion of your spirit? That's the kind of spirit I need. And Elijah, remember, says, well, that's not mine to give, but I think if God allows you to see me go, and my mantle falls to the ground. You pick it up, and you're the prophet, and God's granted your request. And that's exactly what happens. And, and uh, it said, the, the verses go, It came to pass as they still went on and talked, that, behold, there appeared a chariot of fire and horses of fire and parted them asunder, and Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. And Elisha saw it. And he cried, My father, my father, the chariot of Israel and the horsemen thereof. 
and he saw him no more, and he took hold of his clothes and rent them in pieces. And, of course, he did pick up the mantle, and he said, I wonder if this is going to work. He goes back to the Jordan River, and he takes Elijah's mantle, and he smites the water with the mantle. Sure enough, the waters part, just like when they came over. It says, the spirit of Elijah now rests on, the, the prophets on the other side said, the spirit of Elijah now rests on Elisha. Yeah. So that and so many more uh, admonish us that as we approach that shadow of the valley of death, we ought to approach it with anticipation. I mean, that's what we were made for. This, God created us to, to live forever with him, and we're about to do it. And you're closer to it than you've ever been before in your life. How much do young people need to see confidence at this time? A confidence in, in, in what's happening at death and where you're going so that they prepare for it, so that they look forward to it like that. All right. And lastly, wearing the years well. <laughs> so Proverbs 16, uh, 31 the gray head, the hoary head, the old version says, is a crown of glory if it be found in the way of righteousness. I mean, gray head is a glory if it's on a righteous person. The old age, the wrinkles in your face, the grayness in your hair, whatever it is, the slowness in your step. Proverbs twenty twenty nine: the glory of young men is their strength. But the beauty of old men is the gray head. <laughs> but we live in such a generation that uh, our culture wants to make old people feel bad if you look old. <laughs> so we, we go out of our ways to not look too old, you know. Well, I'm for that in some ways, you know. I mean, I have to look in the mirror, too. <laughs> And even James said, if you look in a mirror and forget what you see and go your way, you're, gonna, you're not a very wise person, so fix it up a little bit. I'm for that. But on the other hand, age is age. You change, you change. You know, so be it. I lost my hair when I was by, by the time I was 30. And to tell you the truth, I never want it back. I see those commercials about somebody growing hair on a bald head and I said who would want it back I, I haven't had to buy a comb in 50 years folks I great you know I can comb my hair with a washcloth you know so you know I'm glad somebody said you know they don't put marble tops on cheap furniture and I'm you know so that's right so wear your your age well you remember I told you when <laughs> you see the, the reference to Mark. Oh, by the way, that Genesis 47 is when Jacob knew that Joseph was alive down in Egypt. He picked up his stuff and he went. And he went down there. And Joseph introduced Jacob to Pharaoh. And Pharaoh sees this man and he says, how old are you? And Jacob tells him, I have it here. He said, uh, the days and the years of my pilgrimage are 130, and I have not attained unto the years of my father's. And went his way, and, and here's, here's Pharaoh amazed. 
at the age of Jacob. So don't be afraid of that. I, I told you when I turned 65 and had to uh, go on uh, uh, Medicare, that I changed my life's verse to Mark 8.18. You know, remember this? And Mark 8.18 says, Having eyes to see, you see not. Having ears to hear, you hear not. And neither do you remember. <laughs> so, so that's Mark 8.18 is my life's verse now. All right. So what about the biblical grandparent? Let me, let me do this too and, and uh, read these verses to you. Number one, of course, somebody who sees his children's children. You remember Psalm 128, thou shalt see thy children's children and peace upon Israel. Joel 1.3 with it says, tell ye your children of these things. Let your children tell their children and their children another generation. Down to the fourth generation, telling them the word of God. One who possesses, or excuse me, who passes on righteousness to the next generation. Now, there's a lot of verses here, and Psalm 71 and 78 are great uh, uh, psalms. But Psalm 71, 18 says, Now also when I am old and gray-headed, O God, forsake me not, until I have showed thy strength unto this generation and thy power unto the one that is to come. 78, 6 says, That the generation to come might know them, even the children which should be born, who should arise and declare them to their children. And so it's the, the, the godly grandparent is one who passes on uh, righteousness to the next generation. Thirdly, one who is the glory of his children. Proverbs seventeen six says, Children's children are the crown of old men, and the glory of children are their fathers. One who knows and walks with God. And I went back to 1 John 2 because I write unto you, fathers, because you have known him from the beginning. And so you have walked with God all of these years. Your children need to see that, your grandchildren. And then one who passes on a legacy. You remember in the book of Deuteronomy how Moses is instructing fathers to uh, to walk and live before their kids. Deuteronomy 4.9 says only Take heed to yourself, and keep thy soul diligently, lest thou forget the things which thine eyes have seen, and lest they depart from thy heart all the days of thy life, but teach them thy sons and thy sons' sons. And Deuteronomy 6.2 says that thou mightest fear the Lord thy God to keep all of his statutes and his commandments, which I command thee, thou, thy sons, and thy sons' sons, all the days of thy life. And so we're instructed to pass on that legacy. Now the last, the last bullet point in this lesson is about prayer. And uh, I hope I don't have to say too much about that, but you know what? It's, it's probably the most important thing you do, but for some reason we keep it to last and we run out of time. <laughs> but uh, prayer is the one thing you can always do. L let me read the quotations on the right because you know the verses about this. Francis Schaeffer, old Francis Schaeffer said, how much prayer do we make for our children and those who, that we love that they may indeed 
be willing to walk by the grace of God through the steps of rejection and being slain. They are infiltrated by the world with its uh, attitudes rather than the attitudes of the perspectives of the kingdom of God. Wayne Rice, in a book on grandparenting, said the most important and reliable connection between a long-distance grandparent um, and his uh, son or his grandchildren is prayer. Even though you are far away from them, uh, prayer can bring you and your grandkids together in a significant and powerful way. With God, there is no distance at all between us and our grandkids. And a couple names that, well, at least you know Spurgeon very well. Bless is the man who often talks with his God alone and comes forth from his closet like Moses from the mountaintop with a celestial glory on his brow. William Law said, There is nothing that makes us love a man so much as is praying for him. So, notice the last, and, and since I'm about out of time, these these passages you know the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much let me just leave you with these thoughts if if you don't pray for your grandkids who's praying for them do you know anybody and many times mom and dads in their busy lifestyles they don't they don't have much of a prayer life themselves but you have time and I, I mentioned C.S. Lewis's phrase, the dignity of causality. I mean, it, you can try to do it yourself or you can ask God to do it. Both of those things God's given you the right to do. And God can do things that, uh, you, and you know, as a long-distance grandparent myself, how often, I pray for my kids every day, but I, but I mean, how often have I prayed for specific things, long-distance, and then hear from mom or dad that, it's happening. And you got to go back to God and say, thank you for doing things I had no way to do myself. It's just something we have to do. Um, at the, the bottom bullet point is, one of the blessings of my life is that the people that my kids married, people, <laughs> two boys, two girls, have Christian parents so that I have two prayer partners. And so the whole life of my kids and now my grandkids, I know in each case there are two other people that I know pretty well, and we keep contact with each other. I know they're praying, and Ann and I are praying. So we have prayer partners. But that will be determined when your kids make decisions about who they're going to marry long before you ever have grandkids. See, these things are important. I, I read, I thought this was a good idea. Um, a guy had, had seven, he, he was, this is in one of the books I read, man that had seven grandkids and they were all long distance. They were all uh, too far away. So they asked grandpa what he wanted for Christmas one year. And so he came up with this idea, sent it back to all of his grandkids and their parents, and said, I want a coffee mug with your picture on it. To each seven grandkids, I want a coffee mug with your picture. And he gave them a link to a website that would do it so they could do it right then. 
And he, then he says, and I'll make you this promise. I will drink my coffee from a different cup every morning, and I will pray for the face that's on that cup. <laughs> you know, those are kind of good ideas. There's a lot of things like that you can do that you tell your kids, I'm thinking of you and praying for you, and yet you really are. You're really doing it. Uh, we kind of fell into this thing uh, that we're doing with our grandkids. And, and by the way, next month, our little granddaughter Katie's coming from Alaska to spend a week with us. And so we decided when our grandkids turn 12 or maybe 13, wherever mom and dad, whatever it can work out, we're going to have that grandchild come and at least spend a week with grandma and grandpa again because we're long distance. We go to their house, but they don't get to come home uh, to our house. So there's lots of things like that that you do, I know, and we do. You try to go there. You try to have them come here, you, you uh, FaceTime with them, whatever. All of those things are good. Okay, so the point here is we're grandparents, but we're not done. As a matter of fact, in a lot of ways, we're just beginning, and we have a lot to do, and we ought to be active about doing it. All right, let's pray. Father, thank you for reminding us of these things, and thank you, Father, for these years that we have of wisdom and, and application of your word to lives Help us then, Father, to make good use of it till our dying day that we might glorify you, but our children might also bless and praise you and glorify you in their lives. Thank you for these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Thanks for the hour this morning.